It's that time again, another episode of State of Mind with me, Richard Sefton. You can follow me on Twitter at richardsefton3 and I would very much like it for you to say hello or join in the conversation. This podcast aims to think of ways that we can improve our mental health through talking and that can be a deep and meaningful conversation or a quick natter over the garden fence. You can even be talking to yourself. So go grab yourself a drink, get yourself comfy and listen chat along like I say join me on Twitter if you'd like to for my 30th birthday I was given a greatest hits album a best of it became my favorite album and I had it on all the time never stopped listening to it and really felt every lyric that album takes me to what turned out to be quite a different difficult period in my life um, and it helped me through Um, that album was by The Feeling my guest today is one clever man not only is he a super talented singer and songwriter for The Feeling but he has also written for Sophie Ellis Baxter TV shows ballets um, he has also written one of the best musicals of modern times it's an enormous pleasure to welcome the gorgeous Dan Gillespie Sells to my sofa how are you I'm very well thank you thank you for having me did you like the gushy intro it was it was sufficiently gushy thank you very much <laughs> I don't like to uh, to gush too much so you know <laughs> that's why it gets embarrassing after all you know I don't want to go red <laughs> well I can't see you it's audio it's fine you go oh, as red okay, as you I'm like safe. I mean I haven't even done my hair this morning <laughs> I know. Why do we now? I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I've been. Well, we're starting dramas. to emerge, and and suddenly, you know, I real starting to realise all the pressures of 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 living in the real world. Um, you know, with other people, and suddenly I realised <laughs> my wardrobe is incredibly tired, and and I even got asked to do a kind of TV thing um, this week, and I turned it down because I was like, I'm just not ready. Are you joking? <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be seen yet. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to take me a bit to sort my hair out and sort my face out and sort my life out, you know. And, Stylist, and fi- figure out Figure out what to wear. I just, I'm just not ready yet. You know, it's it's a weird thing, but I think we're, we're kind of, yeah, we're, we're getting to the point where we have to, we have to kind of like, okay, step into the real world and prepare ourselves. But that's one of the p- things that has been, I suppose, a, a, a kind of um, silver lining, Um of the dark cloud of COVID, you know, mm-hmm. the silver lining is that we we had a little bit of a respite from from some of the kind of strain of everyday life. Yeah, yeah. Pajamas have become the new tuxedos, though. So <laughs> I, would, I mean, they've always, it's always been the case around Liverpool, um, which is like you know quite close to me. <laughs> of course, of course. But, you know, now it's 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 the new thing. Um, how has lockdown been for you then? Um, overall, um, okay. And I'm I'm grateful that I have a studio um, in my home, so mm-hmm. I can work from here, and um, I'm able to just carry on being kind of uh, productive, carry on being creative, and um, so I'm I've I've insulated from from some of the the nastier side of COVID, which is people feeling very isolated and people feeling very much like they can't do their jobs anymore and and that kind of stuff, particularly in the creative in- industry. So. Um, yeah, I've, I'm, I've, I've lucked out to a certain degree, but I mean, I've also had ups and downs, you know, I've also had, you know, kind of stressful moments where I've mm. started to kind of, you know, the, the, the overall looming stress of the situation, um, does get to everyone. I think you know, mm. you're lucky if you can avoid that, <laughs> but day to day, I'm very grateful. Yeah. I, I mean, how, how, when was the last time you performed with the band? Um, it's been a really, really long time, Yeah. but to be fair, that's not the bit I miss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's not that. I mean, I always say that, I say that kind of half jokingly, hmm. um, you know, I mean, I've been playing with those, 
those those people you know my band for since we were 16 you know and so it's like you know and I'm 42 you know it's like more than half my life playing with this but you know given a year off is fine yeah. <laughs> a year off is absolutely fine you know and we'll get back into it and I'll love it again mm-hmm. but you know I could easily easily take a year off from playing with the boys and it doesn't bother me at all you know it's kind of actually it's quite a nice rest um you know, we, we use live work in order to pay for all the other work we want to do. So you okay. know, it's, it's how we earn our living. It's how we pay the mortgage. It's how I run the studio. It's how, you know, it, it, it supplements the rest of the work that we want to do. And we love it. Not to say we don't love playing live, but but we've done it solidly for, for years. You know, 25 years or something. You know, it's kind of nuts. That's that's a long time. You must have really close bonds with them. Yeah, we, we have an amazing relationship you know uh you know the lineup hasn't changed you know ever and we have the same the same group of people somehow we managed to figure each other out really early on yeah and since then it's been you know just just like a family relationship just like having siblings or something you Mm -hmm. know it's just having siblings you chose you know um Mm And there, there are a bunch of musicians that I that I will always work with. And what's lovely is that, you know, when I started working on, everybody's talking about Jamie, for example, mm-hmm. and I needed musicians, they're, they're the ones that I, I called on. And, and you know, so um, even if I'm working on side projects, um, I bring them in, you know, whoever's whoever's appropriate for whatever pro- yeah. project, I, I, I bring them in and they become part of it, you know, and... and they become, you know, very much collaborators on, on all the stuff I do because they're the best musicians I know and I trust them and I have a relationship with them which is going to be unlike any relationship I'll ever have with another musician because of 20 years of, of live work with them. You know, you can't kind of buy that. <laughs> well, it sounds so lovely. That, that really does sound warm, cosy. Yeah, it's warm. We, we, we have a lot of respect for each other, you know, and we're all odd and very, very different and we've all got our own tastes and we've all got our own ideas and, and you know, uh, we're not a homogenous blob of people but we... <laughs> But we, we, you know, I, I, we appreciate what each other can bring. Mm. And, and it's not like I always use the same people on everything. Like there are some projects where I go, okay, that's not one for the boys. That's maybe not one for, for but, but maybe Kieran, for example, on keys, he, 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 mm. I need him for that project. And, and then there's other things where I'm like, Paul is the best drummer for this. He's the best drummer I know for this. He's going to come and work on this project. Mm. And, 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 and they, they asked me to come and help them with their projects on the side as well. So it's like, more of a kind of community of artists who have a, a, a kind of we have our own um, history and we can we can bring that to everything we do. Do you how far back do you remember being um, artistic? Uh, what age sort of did you, I don't know, start singing or, or, or pick up an instrument? Um, <clears throat> I think um I think my memories of it are very vague because I was probably four or five, you know. I know for a fact that I got my first piano when I was five. Wow. Um, and that was, that was, my dad got a piano, then my mum got a piano because my parents were separated. Yeah. Um, and uh, both households had a piano straight away because I basically demanded it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, yeah, my dad got a piano from, from an old pub which, which is, you know, he, he had a mate and it ended up with, somehow it got swapped, swapped for, for a multi-gym or something and then we ended up with a piano, which was great. And that sat in our front room and I've still got that piano to this day because really? it's this old honky-tonk piano and I love the way it sounds. Mm. So it's it's an old kind of tack piano, one of those zingy pianos that they that you can use on. And they actually, you hear them a lot on, on 
great pop records and particularly mm. things like ABBA records you hear them and stuff like that so well when you said from an old pub I imagined um doing the Lambeth walk and all that exactly well it's bing one of those bong, old honky tonk yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a very honky sounding piano and I love it very much and um in fact it's right next to me now so I can give you a little there you go like yes. the zingle that's what it sounds like and it, it, it it's it, you know it's kind of a unique tone but actually it got used a lot in great pop records particularly in the 70s you, you hear that tone on lots of great pop records so I kind mm. of uh, I, I use it on on loads of stuff so that's been with me since I was kind of five so <laughs> wow wow I know it's mad isn't it you know some things you just managed to hang on to luckily it was in my dad's house for so many years and eventually I was like oh actually dad can I have the old tack piano please for my studio <laughs> um yeah so yeah, I want yeah. my gym I want my multi-gym back <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who ended up with the multi-gym, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> I wonder what life that piano had before it came to your dad's house. I wonder if it, if it could speak, where would it have been? <laughs> well, the funny thing is I li I, my studio is in a pub. And okay. I wonder, you know, I wonder whether, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't in this pub. No, <laughs> never know. It'd be really weird if it ended up kind of being repatriated to the same pub. But I'm home. <laughs> this is an old kind of, I, I, I have an old Victorian kind of corner pub. Mm. Um, it hadn't been a pub for years, even when I bought it, you know, yeah. which was a long time ago. Um, but it used to be a gay bar, okay. and when I and I didn't realise this when I bought it, but I found out um, a couple of years after having owned it when my uncle came to visit, and he's he was out um, during the during the eighties, really, and yeah. uh, in the early eighties he used to drink in here, and wow. um, since then I've met lots of people um, of that generation who remember drinking in here and going to see drag artists perform in here and and so it's by complete coincidence i've ended up um yeah in in working and writing and creating songs about you know drag artists in a place where drag artists used to perform you know, it's kind of like it's all a bit bonkers and meta but i love it. <laughs> yeah, it it's like that's like a kind of one of those links that just happens that's like it just happens i suppose wow. it happens in yeah it happens in cities isn't it as well that's the great thing about london it has such a such a rich and varied history because it's not just that it was a gay pub mm. in the 80s and 90s also during during the later 90s when it wasn't a gay pub it was also a big west indian hangout and that was also where a lot of the community in hackney he used to have big uh, dominoes competitions and things like that so oh, it's not nice. just the, it's not just the gay community it's other communities also will have used this space and there was women's institute meetings in here and all kinds of other things that used to go on in the past and i'm sure before it was a gay bar it was all kinds of things it might have been a gangster pub or it might have had a you know it all all i love i love the history of cities because they're they're so rich and they're so full of just human stories that's that that really intrigues me the, the fact that you live in a victorian pub and it's got that history i mean obviously they'd all have history but the fact that you know so much about it and that it used to be a gay bar um you know being from that community i suppose it's yeah, exciting it's a, nice, it's a nice connection to have with somewhere that you work you know mm. that's really <clears throat> really amazing i still i still i didn't believe it when i first heard <laughs> i was like nah it can't be true and then and then more and more people came and kind of confirmed it and they were like me i used to drink in there in the late 70s and i'd be like oh wow <laughs> wow I, I, can you imagine how different it was there back then smashed windows and yeah, I mean, I think it probably had blacked out windows and yeah. it would have been, you know, kind of And they still do in a lot of places, don't they? They do. And, and you know, we've, we've, we're losing a lot of those queer venues now. And, you know, it's, it's, it's important to keep them going, you know. I remember I used to go to the, I think it was called the Gloucester in Greenwich. It used to be a gay yes. bar right on the park. 
and then all of a sudden they put some screens up and put sport on and all of a sudden mm-hmm. <laughs> those guys just left <laughs> but you know what's really funny about that <clears throat> i mean i sometimes you know i go to greenwich every now and then and i look at that yeah. place and i think that used to be the gloucester it was huge mm-hmm. it was prime location yeah. right across and it shows what greenwich was like back then do you mm-hmm. know what i mean for it to be something essentially a counter-cultural kind of venue yeah for it to have that prime location right on the park opposite the gates and do you know what i mean you think wow yeah. greenwich was a greenwich was a different place then yeah. you know and 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 you know because because queer culture was counterculture it was wasn't part of the mainstream and 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 london has changed so much because because mm-hmm. yeah those you know these kind of niche places will have trouble surviving in yeah. these places that are essentially prime location now you know, and that's why Hackney's lost a lot of its gay bars because it's prime location for, 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 for mainstream bars and mainstream life mm. to happen. And so our kind of slightly more countercultural, slightly more niche kind of places are going to struggle to survive. And so we have to kind of support them if we can, I think. Yeah, definitely. I would. Oh, I miss going out. I really do. I didn't go out that much before lockdown, but you'd think I went out every weekend, the amount, the amount, like the, the amount that I'm missing it. But. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that we might make a bit more of where we live now that we've had an experience of of, of not having it, you know. And I, I hope so. That, yeah, we we were spoiled, you know. I think we realised now how spoiled we were, some of us, you know, to to live in a place which is vibrant and alive and full of culture and full of things happening and 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 full of choice. And mm. you know, I mean, I I adore London. I I I you know, I don't think I'll ever really live anywhere else. And it's because for me. It, it evolves more quickly than you can keep up with it mm. and that's exciting and thrilling you know I don't think I could ever go into one area you know you go to an area and you go back 10 minutes later and it's completely changed and that means you'll never be bored you know? I was, <laughs> I was actually I've got it written down here to say that to me it quite it's quite evident that London means a lot to you and you just said that so yeah. you're part of the city now though you've, you've you've made your mark you've got a West End musical and uh, how does that feel? How did that, was that like a jump in the air, oh my God moment? Um, uh, no, there was never a moment where I jumped in the air and went, hey, because <laughs> what happens is in, in, in like any industry mm. is that you don't, you can't really believe in anything until it's happened. Yeah. Because we work in an industry which is so fickle and so um, flaky and also you get promised a million things in our business. Mm. and you get that that woo moment and then it and then it falls through and i'm afraid i've been burned so many times um over the years with with things that almost happened that i don't really kind of allow myself to enjoy it until it's happened and then when it happens you go oh wow it happened <laughs> but almost <laughs> like it's almost like it's done you know like th- there's a kind of there's you know and and with with everything i've ever done there's been you know delays and there's been that thing where you kind of thought it was going to be like this and then it turned out like that and then you know so when it actually finally does happen you almost disbelieve it and you almost have to kind of you know kind of go back and then and, and now i kind of can appreciate that i've had a my name up in on a sign in the west end for you know three years you know i go wow that's that you know we're a thousand shows in and i've i've, <laughs> I've you know 
and I'm, I'm only just starting to kind of let it settle in. I'm starting to start to believe it and start to kind of enjoy it. <laughs> and also, you're also very busy when these things happen. So, I mean, someone once says to me the first time you've ever played at Wembley or something like that, you know, what, what was it like? And I was like, well, I was busy. I was busy warming up my voice, making sure I had a good performance to do, tuning my guitar, making sure that everything was going to be perfect, making sure I looked all right, walking out on stage, doing the performance. By the time I came off, I didn't really have a lot of time to take it in. And I think that that often happens, you know, when we're rehearsing a show and it's about to go live in the West End for the first time, you, you literally got so much to think about mm -hmm. that it gets quite difficult to actually kind of soak it up and take it in. You know, you're just kind of more worried about the technical detail of it all being right. You know, it's just a job, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. So I find it, I find it, I'm getting better at learning to soak it up. <laughs> and I really take I've, it in. I've heard people like the Spice Girls or take that say things like it's better the second time around because yeah. we know how to appreciate it more and appreciate it being in the moment. So that's what that reminds me of what you what you're saying there. I think you learn over time to 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 savor the the moments and mm. and you know and everyone will always tell you you know at the time you know really enjoy this enjoy this but it's really hard to do that if it's the yeah. first time we've done something because you're really scared mm -hmm. you know you are you're really scared you, you've got a million things on your mind and you're self-conscious and all of that stuff that comes with youth um mm. so yeah it's it, 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 it you know i mean i feel very grateful actually that my band didn't become successful until we'd been together like nearly 10 years and, you know, we were in our mid-twenties, which for the music industry is quite late to yeah. be successful. So, you know, we, we were already fairly long in the tooth by the time the feeling took off. And we'd also been working as session players and we'd been behind the scenes in the music industry long enough. We'd played on enough other people's albums and we'd, we'd supported people in, on TV shows. And <clears throat> so we knew, the, we knew what we were going into. Mm -hmm. But even then, it's still overwhelming when you're in it. <laughs> you know, even then, it was still overwhelming. I'm just very grateful that it didn't happen when I was 18 or 19, because I think it would have been a complete blur, you know. Yeah, I do. You know, you, you, now I'm the age that I am, and you being the age you are, um, if you look back to people like that are 16, 15, you know, 17, whatever, and you just think, wow, be, to be that age and be like, I don't know, world famous like Britney Spears or something like that. Yeah. Well, I don't um, think you're you're emotionally and, and intellectually fully kind of, you know, fully grown and, and, mm. until you're in your early 20s. And, and that, that, you know, neurologists will tell you this, you know, mm. they'll tell you that there's still parts of your brain completely evolving. I mean, our brains never stop evolving, but there, you know, you, there's, there's whole big development developments that happen neurologically um, in your early 20s. And so, you know, nobody's really fully an adult until they've, you know, <laughs> they've reached their mid-twenties, you know, and, and even then, I think it's, you know, <laughs> I know, I think I'm still getting there myself, but, you know, um, uh, it, it's terrifying to think that, that, you know, you could be put on such a pedestal at such a young age, mm. um, but some people manage it beautifully and some people, it, I, think for, I think for everyone, it leaves a certain, um, it, it leaves a certain, um, it leaves something behind that, mm -hmm. that, that's never going to be the same again, you know, like any experience in life, but that's particularly odd and, and life-changing experiences. It's, it's, it's troubling and it's, I suppose it's troubling because you haven't seen enough of the world to realize that you're not special mm. and you haven't seen enough of the world to realize that there are so many people out there working incredibly hard um, and way harder than you will ever work 
who will never see anything like the kind of success and the kind of grandeur and the whatever that you get. And so, you know, mm. I, I often see people saying things like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful for what I've got. I've worked really hard for this. And I go, did you? I mean, work as hard as someone on the NHS. Did you work as hard as, you know, how hard did you really work? You know, I mean, I'm sure you worked hard. I'm sure yeah. you worked really hard. Nobody's successful in the music industry or in any any industry without working hard, particularly in showbiz. It's a tough game. Mm. But there's always someone worked harder with less to show for it. Always, always, always. So just beware. You know, I think it's people just have to be, and, and you're not aware of that when you're young. And you can't really feel that when you're young. You don't, you haven't seen it, you know? No. Um, so I do think that, that it, it, it does screw with your head. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine it would. It's just it, like I would say, yeah, like you said, mid-twenties, you've, you've experienced things. You have, like you said, you've realised that, <laughs> that you're not as special as, as maybe you'd like to think. Yeah, you've had your first few big knockbacks in life. You know, you've had that first big rejection. You've had that, you know, you need to have all that, I think. And you've been and able to do things, I suppose, <laughs> that if you were recognised at the um, age of 16... 15, 16, you wouldn't necessarily be able to go and buy yourself a Big Mac in McDonald's or whereas yeah. I suppose mid-twenties you would have done things like that or... I think, well, I mean, it all depends. And all, I think it all depends on what kind of artist you want to become as well, you know. I mean, I'm very grateful that, that I never became famous enough to n not get the bus, you know, and, and, and I don't, I don't, I you know, I'm grateful that I, I, I feel like I can still tell ordinary people's stories <laughs> in what I do. Yeah. You know, because I know ordinary people and I live a fairly ordinary life. You know, I wouldn't say I live a, 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 a entirely ordinary life. I mean, nobody, what is ordinary? But I think I, 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 I have a community that I live in Hackney where I can, I walk down the street, I walk the dog every day, I see people, I, um, I go to Tesco's, you know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's fairly, it's fairly mundane. It's fairly, fairly dull. Um, I like getting the bus into town, but I cycle a lot. Um, and the, I, I know the people in the local CAF, you know, pretty well. And, you know, and I, I uh, you know, and, and my life is, is fairly unbothered by, by, by fame or, 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 or notoriety or status. Um, fairly, fairly much so, I'd say. Not always, you know, depends where I am, but most, most of the time. And so I don't, and I feel like a connection to, to at least that community. So I can at least feel like I can write about people in that community mm -hmm. in an honest, truthful way, um, in a way that I truly understand. And I'm, I'm genuinely interested in all kinds of people. So it's nice to be able to mix with all kinds of people and be part of their you know, community so that I can feel like I can talk about it and be part of it and, you know, and, and write about it. Because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in the world of storytelling now much more than I was with just doing pop music. I, I, I write musicals now you know so it's kind of it's nice to feel like I've got a connection to, to to the places I'm writing about you said in an interview actually that um um music that you write for the musical isn't the sort of music that you would listen to whilst picking the kids up and okay I don't have kids I love kids I don't have kids I listen to and you don't even know it all the time in the car I think it's an yeah. amazing track to drive to <laughs> Well, I think the the context in which I was saying that was that um, in the theatre, the the songs have to do a little bit more work. If yeah. you know what I mean, mm -hmm. um, because away. the because the audience is um, the audience is 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 
sat and focused and in the middle of a story mm. so you've got to kind of carry the storytelling on through the song a little bit or you've got to keep the song moving so you've got to have slightly more variation than you do on radio and what really mm. works on radio is repetition yeah. so if you were to just put a radio song in in the theater people would be like okay i've got this now i'm ahead of you mm-hmm. and i'm slightly bored so you what you do is you 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 kind of vary it a little bit more you put slightly more uh, uh, variation into the song as it goes along the lyric isn't the same lyric repeated in every chorus you kind of you use the main hook but then you shift the lyric a bit more in, in, in a pop song you have exactly the same lyric in most choruses you know you just repeat it mm-hmm. and so there's a difference in in the what but I do think musical theatre songs work really well while you're picking the kids up from school as well because though they are moving really quickly and there's more stuff in them people can handle that you know and as long as you've written a strong enough melody and a strong enough hook then it still makes sense on the radio i just think that um if you were to try and do a regular straight up pop song in a musical theater show and not give it the kind of extra stuff that it needs the audience would be ahead of it in no time and they would go can we get back to the story now please i've heard this chorus three times and i'm a bit bored (laughs) <laughs> so that was just one of the things I noticed was different for me as an adjustment I had to make when I was writing for theatre. I noticed yeah. that actually I couldn't do my normal songwriting thing, which was pretty much, you know, verse, chorus, verse, <laughs> chorus, middle eight, chorus, 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 end. You know, yeah. I couldn't get away with the simplicity of a pop song. However, I did want the hookiness and I wanted the tone and I wanted the kind of uh, immediacy of pop music to be part of the storytelling in Jamie when I was writing that. Yeah, I, I mean that comes across, and it also um, I think it 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 goes well because of the age of the of the cast and you know. Yeah, they're a young cast and they're a working mm. class community as well. That's mm-hmm. the other thing is I, if I made it sound like Sondheim, I just think it wouldn't speak to those people, <laughs> and it would be weird, you know. And 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 if I made it sound like uh, a kind of like slightly more uh, in inverted commas, a higher art form, like some musical theater is, Mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't speak to that community. And we, we wrote that, we wrote that piece, not only about that community, but for that community, it was put on in Sheffield at the crucible theater, which has an amazing outreach program and gets lots and lots of people who've never been to the theater through the doors. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we wrote that piece is we wanted people from that particular community to come and see theater and feel like they had a part of it and feel like their stories were being told. So Mm -hmm. it was a big part of, of, of what made us want to do it in the first place and why we set it in Sheffield. Is the, is the real guy called Jamie new? No, the real guy is called Jamie Campbell. Okay. And one of the other reasons that the reason that we named him Jamie New was that during the process it with we more. Well <laughs> it rhymed with more things. No, Campbell is great. You've got Amble and there's lots of half rhymes for Campbell, don't worry. But um the, the, when we were writing it, part of the process of writing for us was to not be too wedded to the original documentary on which the show was Mm. inspired by you know the show was inspired by a documentary and and but we didn't want to um slavishly stick to every detail of the documentary we wanted to create new stuff and the documentary was only a 45 minute documentary which had you know didn't couldn't they couldn't shoot in the school and there was lots of stuff we wanted to include so we knew we had to make a load of stuff up Mm. so during the process we didn't include Jamie or Margaret, his Mm mum, in the process. And what we did was we changed the name, we changed the city it was set in, and we 
we changed it enough so that we could say, okay, Jamie, this is as much of your story as you are willing to claim. Mm. Because I think we was we didn't want to feel like he was stuck with this story that 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 he might not have wanted to lay claim to you know yeah. and actually as it turns out he was like oh well how did you guess that all of this stuff was like my life you know and wow. he, he he took he took he took a claim he claimed it completely once we'd done it and he only saw it when it was basically finished so um and him and his mother both who were you know his, his mother's a big part of the story yeah. um him and margaret um they, they claimed it completely, but we gave them the option to not claim it. And we changed the name so that we felt like it was really important for him to be able to say, actually, this is loosely based on my story, but it's not my story, if he felt like he needed to do that. And That's then that gave us, gave us a lot of license to be free and not worry about it being wedded to a particular person. However, he knows he's the inspiration of the story and mm -hmm. so much of the story is so universal and so part of lots of people's experience that it's not just jamie who feels like we've told his story it's all the other jamies out there you yeah know? <laughs> mm -hmm. and 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 jamie um sort of to encapsulate the whole lgbtq community as a whole or little boys that might want to wear a dress yeah it's it's about and it's more than even about lgbt stuff as well it's about community as a it's about the odd kid who is just authentically odd or different, you know, authentically doesn't fit in, you know, in, in a way that they're just so them that there's no way they're going to pretend to be anything else. And actually what, what happens in that world mm. with those kids is that everyone around them has to shift. I it's like not, that. It's I not like, Jamie sorry. that has to go through the big, it's, it, it's not Jamie that has to go on the big journey, which is yeah. for traditional for traditional for, for, for storytelling is that, that you have a hero and the hero goes on a journey. Mm. For us, it's like we have a hero and everyone around the hero goes on the emotional journey. Exactly. That's what I liked about it. That's why it must have been really emotional um, for him and his mum the first time they saw it, even though, like you say, loosely based. Um, but But he said, how did you guess? Yeah. Oh, wow, that must have been an amazing moment for you as well. Well, the first thing we did was play him the songs. You know, we came, we took him to the studio, my studio here, and and he came to visit, and you know, he listened to the songs, and and um, yeah, he was in bits. <laughs> okay. And I think that he, but he was a bit like, you know, how did you know? But 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 we know because we're all Jamie's, you know. <laughs> you uh, know, me, Tom, yeah. and Jonathan, the creators of the show, we're so much of Jamie and us, you know. There's so mm. much of, we put so much of ourselves into it. We know what it was like to be, you know, odd at school, not just because we're gay, but also because we're just odd, you know. We're just different, we're just creative, and we just we just see things slightly differently to all the other kids. And, and you know, we, we wanted to put ourselves into the story we just connected with it which is why we wanted to tell the story i don't think you can tell a story unless you understand the characters and we understood jamie from when we saw that documentary and that's that was the onus of creating the piece in the first place is because we were like okay we can we can tell we know who this kid is and we can tell this kid's story really well mm -hmm. and and you did i promise you you oh, did thank you. wow thank you. no it's it's amazing um, i mean i was um crying uh, the mom sings her solo and i was yeah. thinking of <laughs> like 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 you do sometimes think about yourself and i was thinking about the little boy that grew up and wanted to play with girls toys um yeah. but had to keep it a secret because somehow even at that age i knew that it was wrong and frowned upon yes so yes. that to me, that you know I, I i suppose everyone will take different things out of it how you you say um 
you were different at school. How was school for you? Um, uh, it was a bit crap. Um, I mean, it's a lot worse for a lot of other people. I think, but it was a bit crap because it was a, it was a, it was a bog standard state school, and I wouldn't say that it was a bad school at all because it's a, it was a perfect school, and actually now it's a great school. But when I was going there, it was just it was state schools in the in the eighties and nineties mm. were full of homophobia. Yeah. Only because culturally is that thing where they that you know you you can't. You know, at home, obviously, I never experienced homophobia because I was raised by lesbians. Mm -hmm. But when when I was when I was at school, uh, the homophobic attitudes were rife, and so I'm in I'm stuck in a culture where, you know, I'm I'm forced to to hide who I am or at least kind of tone down who I am. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, at an age when I should be allowed to develop into the adult I'm going to become without shame and without fear mm. so you know it's no different from anyone else's experience uh, you know particularly in them days you know we also had section 28 mm -hmm. on the statute books which meant that the teachers even if they wanted to intervene couldn't really say very much and they couldn't really do much about the culture in the school yeah. because if they were to outwardly talk about homosexual issues in the school they were at risk of breaking the law mm. and that's what that law did that law created a culture in schools of shame and that's because teachers were had to just keep stum about things that they should have been able to talk about and if you knew there was a teacher who was obviously gay obviously gay, and they weren't allowed to talk about it and they were that that just was a display of something that they, they, should, they need to be ashamed of what that what that said to the kid was there's something wrong with being gay and so it's hugely harmful for the whole generation of kids and i'm one of the lucky ones because i was raised in a very you know, gay positive household, you know, so even before I knew I was gay or anything, I knew that it was okay if I was. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a one in a million because I'm incredibly lucky to have been raised at that time with those attitudes around me. My uncle was openly gay. My mum was gay. She had a partner and, and we were part of the community, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was super lucky, but I still had to go to a crappy school <laughs> with <laughs> crappy crappy ideas and stupid ideas that were being you know spouted by other kids who bought that bile into school by their parents you know mm. you know because they their parents would say stupid things and that they'd come in and repeat it and regurgitate it and then before you know it the kids are all regurgitating all this this poisonous nonsense mm. and you've got to deal with it you know and you've got to take that on the chin and live with it until you go home and then you can let your hair down again you know for, for, and that's that's <laughs> that's that's the best case scenario in them yeah. days you know well, the worst yeah. case scenario is people go home and they have to hide who they are at home as well exactly i mean what age did you know that you were gay then um uh, seven or eight i think see i didn't know until i was 17 well i think i knew what it was you know I, what i mean yeah i was a very early developer as well i, I was i was like puberty at nine so, oh really see i yeah, was, was really very, late in that department as well so no, i was very early to start. i was having hormonal urges very early on and i think i fancied people around seven or eight years old i started actually fancying boys if you know what i mean mm -hmm. so then i knew you know i kind of knew and i didn't really kind of want to confirm anything um until i was older and actually it got to the point where i i i didn't really date i wasn't really in a particularly good place to date really um mm -hmm. but i i didn't date until I was kind of 18 or something. And at that age, it was only really then that I felt like I 
should come out, even though I know I totally could have come out before. But what's embarrassing when you've got parents who are really kind of positive and, and forthcoming about it is they were constantly asking me, when are you going to come out? When are you going to come out? Are you gay? Are you gay? Are you this? Are you that? You know, are you going to come out? Are you not going to come out? What What's going on? I just didn't want to talk about essentially my fantasies with my, because that's all it was. <laughs> At that stage, it was like, all it was was like, what do I wank about? That's all it was. And I'm like, I'm not actually, you know, I don't have a boyfriend, I don't have a partner. I have absolutely nothing going on. So really, it felt like, can't you just wait until I've got someone to talk about? You know? that's, that's quite, a, I've never um thought of it that way but it's quite it's quite it's true, weird to, yeah. it's weird you to get into a conversation with your, when i'm wanking right exactly <laughs> it's weird to get into a conversation about your fantasies with your parents i didn't want to because it was only fantasy land anyway yeah but i think if i think if you have homophobic parents and it's a political stance then mm. it's different i think if you've got parents who you have to stand up against and go actually well i'm gay and it means all these things because i'm actually you know i'm actually rebelling yeah. i'm actually doing you know and actually in my head I'm not going to have your thought police kind of thing. I could totally get why coming out to your parents, even though you've not even got a partner, hmm. that means a lot. If you have homophobic parents or you have parents that you you might, that might be homophobic, you need to know how they feel about it. You need to know how they're going to feel about it when you do have a partner. You know, that's all really yeah. important. But for me, I knew exactly they were, I knew they were going to be cool about it. And I knew they were just going to start asking about boyfriends. And I knew that all I was really saying was, this is what I wank about. And I was not willing to have that, conversation with my parents so I didn't come out for ages but it wasn't it was a different reason for not coming out it was a weird kind of self-conscious thing about me just going like can I just wait till I've got a boyfriend please <laughs> no I get that I've never heard that before but I get it, it well because very sense. few people are in that situation like I well say, I was very few people I suppose I was a, a bit the opposite I, I I didn't come out until I was 17 I didn't come out to myself until I was 17 but I'd already right. had lots of sex with with men and women yeah. <laughs> but I didn't realize until I met my first partner that I fancied guys because before it was just like casual this or casual or experimenting yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. um it wasn't until I met my first partner and I thought oh I actually fancy a man right right it it clicked and I was 17 that's old I mean you hear kids these days coming out 13 12 and I think it's amazing and also the most popular kid in school is the gay kid and stuff like that and I hear it and I think amazing we are moving in the right direction yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, you know, I, I sometimes go and visit the Brit School, which has got this amazing kind of uh, pride event every year and all the kids get involved. And You're it's joking, so that's brilliant. And when we did Jamie, we decided we were going to go and visit lots of schools in that community because um, I'm not from Sheffield. <laughs> Jonathan, our director, is from Sheffield and and um, Tom is not from Sheffield as well. So we went round and did a lot of... Um, kind of research um and workshops in 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 local schools um state schools um in 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 sheffield and it was really important for us to kind of make sure that we knew what was going on with kids now mm-hmm. and actually depending on what school it was it was like night and day because some schools were incredibly progressive and had really really great anti-bullying um uh, stuff going on uh, uh and um were really got it got it got it down in the in the way that they were they were policing the culture of mm. the school and the kids and what was acceptable and 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 then other schools were just really struggling other schools were just really struggling just to get by um and some schools were really tough environments um for all the kids but particularly for the lgbt kids and and i feel that um it's a very mixed picture across the country depending on socioeconomic 
you know circumstances often mm. um of of whichever communities you go into so as we went and visited all these different schools uh in the sheffield area um we 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 got a very mixed picture of what's really going on actually yeah but well but then you get the brit school that does a pride event wow yeah, and lots of schools do. You know, lots of schools do. So, really? so yeah. I mean, God, compared to compared, compared to Section Twenty Eight days, exactly. Things are things are definitely moved on. I mean, but that's a long time ago. You know, yeah, gay people that's didn't exist in my day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I do feel grateful for having I've been raised in a gay family. One of the one of the big things is just knowing that what you were was a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. essentially that was a thing, and it was okay. That's a, the biggest thing that that that, that I say my parents could ever have done for me mm-hmm. was to let me know that that if i was gay that was legitimate it was acceptable and actually it was something which 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 held a future for me did you have when any we'd guilt? had all of that messaging about before that about hiv you know and yeah. and lots of people who felt like that the that, that future for a gay person was a future of tragedy yeah you know mm. um, yeah well one of my other podcasts was them with a guy called Mark Ward, who was um, effectively given AIDS through contaminated blood. Yeah. And uh, at the age of 14, I think, 13, 14, and he had right. to endure horrible things through school. I mean, they called him Freddie Mercury, which is yeah. which might seem like nothing to some people, but to somebody that's being told on a, I don't know, monthly basis, you haven't got long left to live. He's now in his late 40s. Uh, I think he's just turned into his into his 50s, actually. Wow. But there wasn't a year that's gone by that he hasn't been told you're going to die this year and yeah. and mainly always connected with his sexuality you're going to yeah. die because you're gay almost um yeah. and it's it, yeah. it, it, it's horrific to hear but then did you ever feel any guilt coming out um or guilt being gay because your parents were gay um do i need to explain that because in my head i <laughs> because, well, no, i tell you what i tell you what i did feel I, I, there was only one point in which I ever wanted to be straight. Mm-hmm. And that was when there was a lot of narrative around gay parenting at the time. This is and, what I meant. Because mm-hmm. gay marriage was, 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 was being talked about, early, early days of gay marriage being talked about and gay families. And Section 28 was very much about gay families. It was mm-hmm. about the idea of the... It, Section 28 refers to as a pretend family. Mm-hmm. And um, my family was supposedly a pretend family, you know. And so there was a lot of discussion at the time around whether what was going to happen was we were going to have this tsunami, <laughs> that epidemic of gay kids, mm-hmm. because the parents being gay was going to mean that the kids were gay. And it was the only time in my life that I was a bit like, God, if I was straight, it would be great because it would prove that wrong. <laughs> See, that's what I was asking about. That's what I thought. Did, did you have any sort of, oh, God, I can't come out because then it will prove all of them homophobes, right? Well, yes, I did have that. I had that. I was self-conscious about that, which is a ridiculous thing to be self-conscious. But I was. I was mm. self-conscious about going, oh, that's going to prove the homophobes right. And, and and of course, I knew it wasn't right because I've got two brothers who were both straight and they yeah. were both raised the same way I was, you know. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it was, you know, I knew that was a load of nonsense. But um, it still, there was a certain pressure on me to, to, to explain to people that though I am gay and I was raised by gay people, they didn't make me gay. <laughs> That's, you know, <laughs> that's quite heartbreaking to hear. Um, well, because also, you know, a lot of, as soon as you think logically for a second, you would yeah. realise that that was a complete nonsense. Because what about all the straight parents throughout history who have all had gay kids? You gay know, kids, it's, exactly. <laughs> gay kids come from straight parents mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's not 
Yeah, but you know, uh, the, the rational and irrational are taken out of it. A, when you're when you're a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> B, when you're scared. Um, yeah. C, yeah, when yeah, you've yeah. got the whole of society shouting at you that something should be one way when you know it's the other way. It, yeah, and when you're dealing with bigots as well, you know, that's yeah. the other thing. Is you're dealing with people that don't really think rationally and talk rationally and the argument gets mm. all skewed into a place where there's, <laughs> there's very little... Um, logic involved it's just opinion and and mm. and all that kind of stuff and and uh, you know it, uh, it, overall though that that was the least of my worries about being gay you know it, it was hiv was still rife and uh we were still part of the hiv epidemic you know it was still very much yeah. um happening happening in london where i was growing up we knew lots of people my uncle lost a partner my oh. my 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 we lost family friends left right and center um during that period and right into the 90s we were still losing people God, and so you had that as a reminder all the time i mean i knew it was i knew it was on. around me because i because we were part of the community yeah. we, we were i was i was going to pride march every year you know i had my mum mum's a lesbian and i love her banner mm. that i was waving around every <laughs> single year you know and i i was i, I was that. i was there and i was performing at pride as soon as i could perform when i was like 15 16 i started playing gigs at pride i'd play in the women's tent <laughs> you know it was so weird you know daddy clapping common you know it, it was you know i was i was very much part of the 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 you know we our whole family was part of the the community in a way actually in a way that i very much miss now because i don't feel that we have quite the same sense of community and that's probably a good thing because we don't have the need for it the necessity for it that solidarity isn't quite as strong as it used to be because we're not as under attack as we were but mm. um uh uh as a whole you know and and i and, but i miss i miss that sense of community um and closeness and the the real diversity within that you know there was the the black lesbian women's group there was disabled people with you know there was an organization called regard which was run by my mother which was a lgbt disability organization mm. and and so there was huge diversity and there was there was lots and lots of 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 people coming together to fight section 28 for example or to get any equal age of consent or whatever other whatever things that were on the statute books that we had to fight at that particular time it brought us together and and i was raised in a community in the same way that they say it takes a village to raise a child i, I was raised in a gay village and i wow. loved it you know i loved it very much my my brothers will both tell you that it was fantastic fantastic for them as as straight boys mm -hmm. um they will tell you that it was equally well, no one um, hates a sense of, of community, I suppose, do they? Yeah, and and I think that that it 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 kind of um, it kept us it kept us feeling safe. It kept us feeling, you know, um, that we were part of something and part of something moving forward. And, it sounds and beautiful. It really does. I I I I have great memories, very fond memories of my childhood. You know. Yeah, we we were, we were. Um, my band was booked to play Pride last year. And look what happened there. Oh. <laughs> but hey, oh, onwards and upwards, maybe this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and who knows what's going to become of Pride? You know, Pride, Pride's been a mess for years. You know, mm. Pride's been, Pride's been uh, corporatized, and and you know, we've had to, we we haven't found the right balance with Pride between community and between you know uh, corporate outreach and yeah. all of those things, and how we're going to fund it, and how we're going to do. And I I I do wish we were a little bit more radical with Pride. I feel like if we were to turn around and say these streets are our streets and we're taking them, mm -hmm. I don't think we need to be quite as heavily policed and quite as heavily kind of cordoned off and organised and wristbanded. You know, you don't get that at at, at, at you know that kind of 
it doesn't feel like uh, we've pushed back enough, actually. Mm. In the same way that, you know, I've seen Notting Hill Carnival be kind of uh, 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 under threat so many times, but yeah. they have pushed back and that community has pushed back and they have said, no, we are doing this. This is our community. This is our community doing our thing. And they've worked with the police and they've, but they've not, they've not rolled over in the same way that I feel like pride has just rolled over so many times to, you know, kind of become sanitized and corporatized. And I think that we need to reclaim it a little bit and we need to turn mm. it into something which still has some kind of relevance in, in real working people's lives. I suppose it's hard when you get people in the community, and I was one of them four years ago, that didn't understand the need for every label and the letters being extended, LGBTQI and then going on and I was one of those people just a few years ago that didn't under, that wouldn't have understood the, the, the black lesbian group that you said or the disabled lesbian group I, I, I yeah. would have thought we're just all people so I joined yeah. an LGBTQ plus choir um, right. to try and understand more and I spoke to some of the older members and and I got it and I understood it and I now understand it and well I suppose it's human nature that we tribe we, we, we need tribes this is my yeah. tribe. <laughs> yeah, we've got a tribe and, and the tribe, having the tribe, having that big long list of letters, though kind of like somehow some people find it slightly ridiculous. I think what it does is it says that it says that it it does a wonderful thing in that it says we are all together because we're clumping these letters together out of solidarity. Mm -hmm. But also we hold on to our own, uh, uh, our own identities within that. Mm -hmm. And that's the perfect thing. That's the perfect kind of devolution that we need. You know, we need to be able to feel like we have some agency in our own lives on some kind of sense of community at the same time. And mm -hmm. so we want to be part of a community. We want to become a homogenous blob. You know, we want to be a salad, not a soup. You know, I don't know how any analogies you can come up with, but you know what I mean? Like we want, we I love your homogenous blob one. <laughs> well, you know, because it's so easy just to have feel like you see like my you're... lockdown stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, but you know what? You've worked hard to get that stomach, you know, so Got just me keep, feeding, keep feeding it. It's, it's, you know what? It's, it's, it, it's important. I think identity is a double-edged sword because, you know, we need, we need identity big time because we need to, because, because they use identity to attack us. Mm -hmm. And so we use identity to defend ourselves. Mm hmm they use names in order to other us, right? Yeah. And then we have to claim those names and those definitions in order to stand up for ourselves and find our brothers and sisters and siblings who we can stand alongside in order to push back, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a double-edged sword, though, because what happens is at the same time as attaching ourselves to what used to be I suppose adjectives we've turned them into kind of nouns and we've kind of made them like I am a you know mm -hmm. and then suddenly we can feel a little bit restricted by that and we can feel that they're they're a bit rigid and we can feel that we're boxed in by them and we can feel that they maybe say more about us than we want them to say so we have to be really careful to make sure that they are they are just adjectives but they also also something that 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 is important to recognize but not be super super um wedded to because we are humans who change and humans change and humans evolve and humans shift and and are complex and are layered and we have more to us and we all contain multitudes and we should all be able to um uh, uh, 
understand the complexity of what it is to be a human being. It's why I love mm. storytelling. It's why I love, you know, telling stories about people because you can include such complexity in good storytelling. You know, you tell the story of a complex, you know, songwriting is, is all about that. Songwriting, songs are crap if they're just about one thing on one layer. Songs are, in, <laughs> songs are great. Songs are great. Yeah, songs are great because they're about all kinds of things, you know, they, 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 you know, you take a simple idea, but you bring nuance and you bring, you know, within three minutes, you can, the music can, can, you know, convey complex emotion. You know, it your, your songwriting is amazing. I love your, oh, absolutely love your song. Who are your influences? Musically, um, oh, they're all over the place. I've got to say, they're they're all over the place. You know, I mean, great songwriters like Elton and you know Elton and Bernie. I think Bernie Taupin is one of the greatest lyricists of all time. Mm. He's probably my favourite lyricist, Bernie, because there's something poetic but not too poetic, and there's something just uh, kind of uh, you know transporting about his lyrics. You know, they kind of transport you to a place, but it's not too well defined a place. It's a kind of it's a kind of slightly kind of uh, uh, it's a it's a beautiful faint picture that's painted that you can put yourself into, and then there's 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 also all the great storytellers through history through music like Harold Arlen and Cole Porter and Irving Berlin and you know mm. all of the great kind of songwriters of the American tradition, and then I also love the Carpenters. And I love, you know, ABBA and I love the big shiny pop songs of, of ELO and I love, oh, I love you know, ELO. and I love the Who and I love the Stones. I love the Beatles. Obviously, who doesn't love the Beatles? You can't kind of mention the Beatles as a British pop singer without thinking, wow, <laughs> how did that happen? You know, <laughs> so everyone, the world. <laughs> just everyone except for the rubbish people, really. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, cheeky girls. <laughs> <laughs> I like the cheeky girls. I wasn't referring to the cheeky girls, but I'm not going to tell you who I was referring to. <laughs> Later, once I've pressed off the yeah, record. <laughs> That's for the part two. <laughs> so your influences are, are, are kind of all over the place and well-rounded. Well, I use them for, I use different influences for different things that I'm doing, you know, doing different, doing different projects, different films or different TV shows or different whatever, you know, because I'm working on six or seven different musicals at the moment. And they all, they they all, I mean, all various different stages of completion, but sometimes... Bloody hell, it, six or seven? Well, yeah, I mean, that sounds that like a lot, part. but actually some of them, are, some, some of them I'm literally only just starting and some of them I wrote over lockdown and some of them I, I finished over mm. lockdown and, and a couple of them were finished a while ago and they're just waiting to see the light of day and that's 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 our industry and some of them will never get finished and a couple of them will maybe never see the light of day mm. and that's fine you know as, as artists we get used to rejection so we what we do is we carry on creating and 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 some days i'm writing some days i like to reference country music and other days it's, it feels like i want to reference something a bit more like 19 20 you know 20s French music or something and I'll listen to some of that stuff and I'll get into that world because that's that's something that you know there's something about the or the post post-war Paris you know that that, mm. that you know I think of Jacques Borel or something and I go actually I want to have a bit of a, bring a bit of Jacques Borel into what I'm doing here or or or, or yeah there's this there's such an amazing amount of music out there to to learn from and to glean from that that I don't restrict myself I think when you're a pop artist and when you're starting out it's quite useful to have quite a narrow vision because that's mm. how you create your sound and you, you 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 want to head in one direction quite cleanly when you're young 
And I think about being a teenager and being a kind of musician, you know what you hate and you, you, you know, you know that you don't want to do that and you don't want to do that. And you're quite narrow in what you want to do. And that's really useful as an artist to, to create your voice. Mm. That's a really useful thing. And then I think as you get older as an artist and it becomes more about the craft of what you do, I think you, you, you broaden your horizons. And I think uh, I'm, I'm in my forties now and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to listen to anything and take something from everything because, because, you know, I, I don't need to define my sound anymore. Oh, your career yeah. has certainly evolved, hasn't it? Yeah, and I'm, I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for it, you know, because it, it, mm. if I was if I was still trying to, I don't know, get played on Radio One, you know, uh, you know, it's it's that what that that is a, uh, you know, it's a kind of young person's game, I think, and I don't I don't feel like I need to. I don't really want to spend a lot of time thinking about production or what, what the latest production is or the latest kind of hooks people are using or the latest kind of lyrical thing fad you know that 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 is something for young people who get excited by that to do i am um, interested in what i've got to say or what my characters have got to say and how best i can tell that bit of story and 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 with the new feeling album which i've just just been working on just pretty much finished now um I've reached a philosophical place where I've got different things to say than I used to have to say, you know, so I'm going to say what I want to say. So song great um, is good for your mental health then. Oh God. I, yeah. hundred percent. I don't, I don't know where I'd be without it. I mean, it's hard for me to tell because I've been writing songs since I was a kid, you know, so I don't know how I would have developed if it wasn't for having songwriting as a kind of outlet. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's quite a leveling thing for me. I don't, I don't have big ups and downs in my life very much. I tend to stay on a, on a fairly even keel. And I think that's just because I write songs every day. <laughs> it's kind of... Amazing, amazing um, way of living, I suppose. But like you say, you wouldn't know any different. But, yeah, uh... I've, I've, I wouldn't know any different, really. I mean, I've, I have had times where I've, I've <clears throat> you know, times where I haven't been as creative. And I think I, the, they're the times when I did feel less well mentally, I think. Mm. Um, but as long as I've got a piano nearby and, and or a guitar or, or, or something, then then I'm normally okay. <laughs> I do I do think that um, I mean a guitar is quite quite portable, a piano not so much. But you know, yeah. but I do feel that that as a society, <clears throat> as as people, we do need to be um, we do need to notice and realise when we're not feeding our souls as much. And that for you, I suppose, would be songwriting. Uh, for somebody else, it might be reading. Um, and I don't yeah. feel as people we give ourselves enough time anymore. A few of us do, but not enough. Um, <clears> and that's yes, when anxiety yes. and depression and things creep in. Um, well, I think so it's really interesting that they, they, they've taken a lot of the creative arts out of the curriculum. This <laughs> yeah. is what Gove did. Mm. Um, you know, when the Tories got into power and stripped arts away from the, the curriculum and they turned it into this kind of very vocational kind of a yeah. <clears throat> cold, hard scientific kind of place to be i think that what they did was they caused a whole generation of people and i'm not talking about the wealthy people i'm talking about the people without means yeah. i'm talking about the the more deprived communities who who won't have a piano in the parlor do you know mm. what i mean i'm talking about the people who don't have the extracurricular classes they won't have a parlor on. they won't have a parlor <laughs> and they won't and they won't have you know mummy's bought me piano lessons whatever mm. they won't have that right mm. so they they will have 
lost what I think is a lot of people's access to joy, which is expression. Mm-hmm. And they won't have been taught that actually, because all that needs to happen is a kid needs to be taught that actually, you know what, you've got something to say and you can say it in all these different ways. Whether that is, whether that's expressing yourself through fashion or expressing yourself through drawing or painting or art or dance or singing, or whatever it is. If someone's got that outlet, that way of accessing their joy and then sharing their joy, which is what part of joy is, is sharing, you know, if they've got that themselves, then they're going to be set up for the rest of their lives. And through the hard times and the difficult times, they're going to have something to fall back on. But you strip that away from a whole generation of kids. You've Mm. got a mental health epidemic on your doorstep. And that's what we're starting to see now, a mental health epidemic, particularly amongst young boys who basically don't have any of those outlets. Mm -hmm. You know, all they've got is like, you know, pressure, 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 pressure. And and this idea of status that they've got to live up to some kind of status, you know, buy stuff, be be a consumer, you know. And what they're not getting is this thing, this, this idea that art is something which they can create for themselves. It's not something you buy online it's you know going on spotify and listening to the latest ed sheeran isn't the same as creating your own art and culture and i think that culture needs to be more democratized i think it needs to be something you know i think it's really weird actually that that we've 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 um industrialized our culture to the point where people just get their music from rihanna and I'm like, great, I love Rihanna, but I'm not saying, but but we should be able to create our own. We should, wouldn't we? We shouldn't, shouldn't we be doing our own music and, and and telling our own stories? I'm not. I'm saying that as a musician who sells their music to other people. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm I'm just saying that that also people should also have the means to express themselves. Every yeah. single person should. Every single person should. No matter what your job is, no matter where you're from. The idea that people say. I'm not a creative, so I just don't do that. I think that's crazy. I think everyone's creative. Absolutely. Your outlet might be cooking. You know, you might be making great recipes or it might be, you know, it might be you're really good at making cocktails. I don't know, but but everyone's got to have a kind of creative bit. You know, it might be whittling spoons or, or making furniture or, or, or fixing old things, you know. But people need to have some kind of a uh, an outlet and I don't think it needs to be super highbrow it can be the ukulele club but i think if people don't have those outlets and don't have access to those outlets then they get sick and i think we have a whole culture and our communities of whole communities getting really sick because they don't have those those means to 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 kind of creation and those means to creation are a way of accessing joy and if you don't have joy in your life what's the point in getting up in the morning and you ain't going to get joy by going online and buying crap online and having the latest this and the latest that that isn't going to bring you joy that'll bring you some pleasure for a minute but that's not the same as true joy true joy is something which is uh, created and shared um, Mm -hmm. and received you know and i think that that's very different from something you buy and and so I, I'm really interested in the idea of how, how we can democratise um, culture so that everyone feels they have that access to joy and they don't have to buy it. You know, they can just get it. They can just, they can just create it. They can just conjure it like a magic, you know, magic trick. And then they can share it in, mm. you know, within their communities. I'm not interested in, in uh, uh, the latest big global this or the latest big global that. I'm interested in what happens in communities. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, who was I talking to not long ago? And they said about um, societies, the oldest people in society, they always have 
um, an amazing sense of community that seems to run through people that get to a certain hell of an age, you know, the oldest people in the world. They've all had um, this sense of community and helping each other and helping each other to achieve your best. Um, yeah. And it, it would be, I mean, like when I was when I was growing up and I'd say, oh, I want to be a singer or I want to be an actor, I'd always have the, I, I, don't get me wrong, my family were amazing in lots of ways, but I'd always have the, okay, so um, well, what are you really going to do? <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, what's the what's the real job what's here? What's the real job? After that as a back yeah, burner. And not but not everyone has to be a professional this or a professional. You no, know, but it kind of piles it down, it kind of pushes it down and you think, okay, yeah. so I, I mean, oh, not yeah, no, in no, my no, but case. that's that's but that's that's a class thing as much as anything else because mm. I do think that, you know, I, I, I remember what it was like at my school. I, I was I was you know, I I knew I wanted to be a musician from day dot and I and mm. I remember teachers trying to kind of tell my parents you know this is all very well but we're still gonna have to you know this is all very well that Daniel wants to be a musician but you know really he needs to do his maths and he needs to do his stuff because in the real world he's not going to be a musician mm -hmm. and you know they didn't listen but but thank goodness but that was because it wasn't uh the community I grew up in didn't create musicians mm -hmm. that just wasn't that wasn't you know in in <laughs> In Southgate, there weren't that many people becoming musicians, and that was just seen, you know. But because all the musicians came from posher places and were going to go to the Royal Academy, or they were going to, you know, it was a more of a middle class thing, and and I wasn't it part of that community, you know. And and I think that there, there are very low aspirations for 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 people in working class communities generally. Yeah. Not that not that it was a kind of lower, I'd say lower middle class where, where I grew up rather than working class, but. <laughs> But, you know, that it was unaspirational, I can tell you that much, you know. Mm, takes a lot out. Um, so, um, song writing, um, living in living in the city, or they're all part of you, the the the, the, the um being a gay man, um, the inspirational parents that you had, it's all part of you. What's next for you? Um well, we are waiting to hear on a release date for for the Jamie movie, which That's is, what which I is to ask about. the next bit. So, uh, yeah, so everybody's talking about Jamie was adapted um, uh, into a, into a movie, big movie, and um, uh, we are waiting on seeing when and how and which, in which format it's going to get released. Because um, obviously, everything's still up in the air, and we don't know what cinemas are going to be doing, or and we don't know whether. Um, you know, because it, it's kind of in the hands of Fox at the moment. Um, or, mm. or, or was what was Fox Twentieth Century Fox, which is now Disney Twentieth Century, and um, so it's very much in the hands of of, of them. And we're just going to see what 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 happens. So we're, I'm I'm like everyone else, just waiting to see. I'm just looking forward to getting the getting the film out there into the communities. You know, and I I want to be part of that, and I want to make sure it's done in the right way, hopefully, and in a way that that, that honors honors the story itself. You know. The trailer um, gave me goose pimples. <laughs> oh, I do, I do. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a real experience, and and I, I like. I, I think next is just carrying on with the with the projects I've got started and and trying to make them good. You know, trying <laughs> trying to make them really good so that people like them, and 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 uh, get them onto stages. You know, get them onto stages or onto screens. You know, have you been in a musical? No, I've never done one. No, I'd Would love you? to do one. I've never mm. done one. No, me no. too. I'd love to do a musical. When I'm old enough, I'll go and play Hugo in the West End. I'll have to wait till I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> you, I am old enough to play Hugo. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, how? how I, I always said that. I'm like, well, it's always been kind of in his fifties, but I think maybe, maybe I'm getting to that age where I can, I, 
I can play Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> but it terrifies me. It terrifies me. I mean, the people that do it, you know, they've done years and years of training for a reason. You know, it's not easy. It's, yeah. a, it's a real slogan. It takes real discipline and... Um, uh, uh, you know, it's eight shows a week. It's a big deal. But I know. I always uh, think about that eight shows a week, and I always think, when do you get me time? You don't. And also, the thing is, if your idea of me time is going out for a drink with your mates, there's just Never. no way you can do it. You just can't. And you, you, because you, 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 your voice will go because you'll yeah, be in exactly. a bar and you'll be shouting over the music, and then that'll kill your voice. So, really, yeah, me time is just like resting. So <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one, but I think it's. Depends on your part, love. You know, depends how big your part is. You know, if, if you're <laughs> well, on stage all the time, whoever plays Jamie, I tell you what. Well, <laughs> not that question. Um, but you know, the lead, the lead role of Jamie yeah. is 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 huge in the West End. It's a huge part. It's it's, you know, that character is always on the stage, and when they're not on the stage, they're doing a quick change backstage, and mm. they're running to go to their dressing room, and there's very little time to sit down even, and and. It's a it's a big old part to ask someone to play eight times a week, and all of our all of our cast have been incredible. Mm. Is are they are they all like um, late teens or a bit older? They're normally in their early twenties. Yeah. When they play Jamie, yeah, yeah. They, they they I mean, just to have the stamina to do it. I don't think any of our Jamies have been under twenty, but they're normally around that age, and and that's that's just you know mm. astonishing that they can even do it at that age. You know, it's it's a it's a big role for a young person. Yeah, but it's just amazing, and and the the joy that they bring to everyone else. There you go. There's another a f- form of joy that I I get sitting there. Um, I feel all emotions when I'm watching a musical, especially that yeah. one. It was it was gorgeous, right? I want to know who you think is shit in the music industry. So I'm going to wrap this up because <laughs> 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 I'm it's some playing on my mind. Um, thank you so much for talking to me today, though. It's, it's been really pleasure. nice getting to know you. Um, thank you. Have for you enjoyed me. Thank chatting? You for- Listen to my rant. I, 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 listen, if it's not you, it'll be one of my mates down the pub later. So I'm glad that you got my, my, my rant for the day. <laughs> you say rant. <laughs> You've got such a calming voice. I could genuinely listen to you forever. I just feel like sometimes I need to put the world to rights. And that's what I do. I do, I do it too often, though. When I've done it after a pint, I'm the worst. So I'm, I'm glad that I got it out of my system. I'm, not rant as in angry, but I, I, I I'm, I'm very opinionated. So I, I, I appreciate the outlet. I like that. I like someone that's opinionated. I can be quite opinionated. But I try and rein it in every now and then. But I like someone being opinionated at me, with me, to me. Um, so thank you very much again for joining me. And Thank uh, you for having me. And I'm glad that you've enjoyed it. So right, thank you very care. much, Dan. Take care. Lots of love. Yeah, Bye. Take care. That's it for another episode of State of Mind with me, Richard Sefton. Um, like I said at the start, you can join me on Twitter at Richard Sefton3. Come and say hello, join in the conversation. It would be nice to hear from you. Uh, in the meantime, I hope that you've enjoyed the episode. I hope that you've enjoyed listening along. Uh, go and have a chat. Go and have a natter. And enjoy the week. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. 